the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, a conversation with Dennis Prager, the latest in his Rational Bible series, The Rational Bible, Deuteronomy. That's the subject of our conversation. And we'll take a look at some of the headline news in the second hour of today's program as well. Sam Maupin is engineering James Blend producing today's program. Well, lashing out, President Biden again scolds MAGA Republicans after a court strikes down DACA. I'm not sure how the MAGA Republicans had anything to do with it, as he suggested. But nonetheless, Thailand, there was a massacre there today. More than um, have been uh, there have been more than 30 killed in a mass shooting and a knife attack at a daycare center that included children. Citing a ticking time bomb, Senators Graham and Cruz tell Mayorkas he's on notice for possible impeachment over the border crisis. And society is not safer. Wisconsin gubernatorial candidate Tim Michaels blamed Governor Tony Evers' weak leadership for rising crime and promised to work with law enforcement to curb violence if elected in the November midterm. Evers and Michaels are locked in a tight race with a Republican challenger up 50 percent to 47 percent and holds a seven point lead among independents, according to an AARP survey released this week. Following the science, President Biden contradicted his own top hurricane expert to push his climate agenda and offended and entitled parents are fuming after a professor was fired over students poor grades. It had to have been the professor. It wasn't that the students weren't doing the work. The parents say otherwise. Well, citing catastrophic effects, Dr. Phil slams COVID-19 lockdowns, says he anticipates difficulties for decades to come. OPEC's decision to cut oil production is deeply humiliating for President Biden, although you wouldn't necessarily note it from his uh, current rhetoric. We're now looking at Venezuela. We aren't giving in. The Biden administration demands Alabama embrace genderless schools or else. That's according to Alabama's attorney general. Gunned down, a university community is uh, left in deep shock after uh, a professor was shot and killed on campus by a former student. President Biden denounced the OPEC reduction in oil output. Saudi Arabia helped Russia push for higher worldwide oil prices on Wednesday, alongside other members of the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. The alliance announced that member states would cut out um, oil output by two million barrels per day beginning in November, constituting two percent of global oil demand. Russia's um, Russian fuel is currently trading worldwide at a discount as European consumers refrain from purchasing the nation's fuel. New output restrictions could provoke the United States to release more oil from the strategic petroleum reserves, which are presently at their lowest levels in four decades. Financial Times weighs in. The administration criticized the move on cuts, saying it was a short-sighted decision at a time when maintaining a global supply of energy is of paramount importance. Well, it is to us, but apparently not to them. A White House spokesperson told reporters on Air Force One it was clear OPEC Plus was aligning with Russia. And CNN 
But with just a month to go before the critical midterm elections, U.S. gasoline prices have begun to creep up again, posing a political risk the White House is desperately trying to avoid. A U.S. official have uh, moved to gauge potential domestic options to head off gradual increases over the last several weeks. The news of the major OPEC plus action presents a particularly acute challenge. In other news, President Biden and Governor DeSantis put aside politics to assess the damage in Florida. Ah, statesmanship on display, sort of. USA Today weighs in one week after Hurricane Ian slammed into Florida. President Joe Biden is visiting the area to assess recovery efforts and talk to affected families. Ian, one of the strongest hurricanes ever to hit the U.S., also is expected to be one of the costliest. The president has said his political disagreement with DeSantis are irrelevant to his administration's response and has offered the governor the fullest federal support. Governor DeSantis has put aside his challenges to Biden on immigration and other issues to work closely with Washington. The president, uh, with the first lady, Jill Biden, visited the hard hit Fort Myers area to reaffirm his commitment to supporting the people of Florida as they recover and rebuild from the devastating storm. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre told reporters on Tuesday, people continue to face power outages, lingering uh, flood levels and continued rescue missions as people look to return to their communities. Rising interest rates have hit the housing market hard. In the past week, overall application activity dropped to its lowest pace since 1997. Demand for mortgage applications plunged 14.2 percent, according to the weekly mortgage application survey from the Mortgage Bankers Association. The 30-year fixed rate hit 6.75 percent last week, the highest rate since 2006. Joel Kahn points out NBA's associate vice president of economic and industry forecasting. The current rate has more than doubled over the past year and has increased 130 basis points in the past seven weeks alone. Home prices in the U.S. are sinking at the fastest monthly pace since the Great Recession, evidence that rising mortgage rates are rapidly slowing activity in the housing market. The Supreme Court will look at Section 230, which could have significant effects on how social media platforms operate. We talked a bit about it yesterday. The Supreme Court agreed this week to hear a challenge to a fundamental legal protection enjoyed by social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter and TikTok. The ruling could dramatically change how those platforms operate, even affecting search engines like Google. The case concerns Section 230 of the 1996 Communications Decency Act which protects social media platforms and other sites from legal liability that could result from content posted by users. The law was drawn, or rather has drawn, criticism from elected officials across the political spectrum. Hugh Hewitt weighs in, saying Twitter and Google have been sued by victims of uh, ISIS for their propagation of the terrorist group's propaganda over the many years that they've existed till Donald Trump crushed them in the early year of his presidency. However, Section 230 is a shield. One thing that will interest me is, does this shield make them government actors? I think that will also be a debate. So we'll uh, certainly follow the story. Keep your eyes and ears open as um, arguments will be made in the U.S. Supreme Court and ultimately decisions on what that will mean moving forward. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Once again, joining us uh, in the Latter part of this hour, Dennis Prager, his uh, latest addition to the Radical Bibles, or rather, Rational Bible series, the Rational Bible Deuteronomy. We'll be back. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, Dennis Prager, author of The Rational Bible, Deuteronomy. It's the latest in his series. Well, an NYU professor has been fired because his classes were too challenging for students. Well, Maitland Jones Jr., the chemistry professor at New York University, who also taught for four decades at Princeton, was fired in August after undergraduate students circulated a petition complaining that his course was too difficult. Dozens of the college students, many of them aspiring doctors, signed on to the petition in the spring. Jones, 84, told the New York Times that he started seeing a loss of focus among students about a decade ago. But the problem was exacerbated by the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. They weren't coming to class, that's for sure, because I can count the house, Jones told the newspaper. They weren't watching the videos and they weren't able to answer the questions. Well, in their petition, students said that a class with such a high percentage of withdrawals and low grades has failed to make students' learning and well-being a a priority. Now, is making the students' well-being a priority for a college professor? One of Jones's teaching assistants defended his former boss. I think this petition was written more out of unhappiness with exam scores than an actual feeling of being treated unfairly. Well, the New York Times weighed in, saying instead of weeding out the students who failed to make the grade, NYU invoked the increasingly popular American response, if the goal is too hard to reach, move the goalpost. And that won't help them in the operating room, but there you have it. The article said those who fail organic chemistry might not be admitted to medical school. That's good news. If I were hospitalized with a possibility, uh, a possible fatal illness, would my doctor decide that finding a correct diagnosis was, well, too hard? Well, it's a legitimate question. Uh, Taiwan warned China that if Taiwan airspace is breached again, it will be seen as a first strike. Bloomberg reports that Taiwan warned it would treat any Chinese incursion into the island's airspace as a first strike as Taipei seeks to deter Beijing from ratcheting up military pressure around the island. The defense minister told lawmakers in Taipei that the ministry was uh, Taking such incursions more seriously after a recent spate of closer flights by Chinese warplanes and drones pressed on whether any warplanes violation of Taiwan's airspace would be viewed as a first strike. He said yes, without elaborating what the response would be. Associated Press says that China stepped up its military exercises, fired missiles into waters near Taiwan and sent warplanes across the dividing line into the Taiwan Straits in response to an August visit to the island by U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the highest-ranking American official to visit Taiwan in 25 years. China never officially recognized the line that a U.S. general devised in 1954 at the height of the Cold War hostility between Communist China and U.S.-backed Taiwan, although the People's Liberation Army had largely respected it. That may be changing. Gun dealers are required to provide the FBI with the addresses of individuals denied or delayed purchases. Well, just the news reports that as part of a sweeping change that has gun rights groups alarmed, federal federally licensed firearm dealers are now required to provide the FBI with the personal addresses of individuals whose attempted purchases were denied. In turn, the FBI must now provide details of the failed transactions, not only those denied, but also those just delayed and the personal information of the rejected individuals to local law enforcement, raising fears of greater government infringement on the Second Amendment. The changes were quietly implemented last week by the FBI's National Instant Criminal Background Check System to comply with the new federal law. 
Gun owners say this is a significant change to the system as before the passage of the NICS Denial Notification Act, dealers were only required to provide the state with uh, residents of a customer. Uh, delays in background checks are extremely common. Sometimes it's as simple as having a common name or having a security clearance with the federal government. Governor Ron DeSantis on illegal aliens caught looting in his state post uh, Hurricane Ian. They should not be here at all. Well, Florida Governor DeSantis revealed Tuesday that three of the four looting suspects arrested in Lee County were in the United States illegally. The governor focused on law and order in southwest uh, Florida and drew a connection between that at his uh, op- and his opposition to President Joe Biden's immigration policies. These are people that are foreigners. They are illegally in the country. But not only that, they try to loot and ransack in the aftermath of a natural disaster. He explained. Well, meanwhile, DeSantis again warned would-be looters of potentially dead, deadly consequences, saying that Floridians' right to defend themselves and their homes will be honored. He said on Monday he had interpreted his um, hurricane duties to attend to a memorial uh, service for Pinellas County Sheriff's Deputy Mike Hartwick, who got killed by a twice-deported illegal alien from Central America. Focus on the Family encouraged students to bring their Bibles to school today. Approximately 500,000 students across the country did just that. They exercised their constitutional right to bring their Bibles to school and share their beliefs with fellow students as part of the Focus on the Family Bring Your Bible to School Day event. Well, since the inception in 2014, participation has grown exponentially and students have been encouraged to boldly live out their faith, express their religious liberty and have a positive influence on their peers. Elizabeth Ten says Bring Your Bible to School Day is an excellent opportunity for our nation's students to boldly and freely stand for their faith. Jim Daly, president of Focus on the Family, says this event empowers Christian students of all ages to speak God's grace and truth into culture around them, starting with two simple steps, bringing their Bibles to school and sharing what God's word means to them. Kudos to students who did just that today in our communities and all around the country. President Biden plans to deplete the oil reserves in the wake of the OPEC production cut following OPEC's Wednesday decision to cut oil production by two million barrels a day. The president announced that he will release another 10 million barrels from the U.S. already enfeebled Strategic Petroleum Reserve in an ill-advised effort to counter rising gas prices. The impetus for this move has everything to do with the upcoming midterms, as the president is desperate to save the Democrats from a red wave. The fact of the matter is that releasing oil from the SPR will have little impact on the price at the pump. Using it in this way is merely a political stunt designed to give the appearance that the president is doing Well, something. Well, the bigger issue is that the U.S. would not be experiencing this current gas uh, gas price spike had the president not caved to the climate activists and implemented an anti-fossil fuel agenda. And despite the president's uh, boastful declaration that no one, well, messes with a Biden, it would seem just the opposite in this case. As Clay Travis observed, so the Saudis made Joe Biden travel all the way to Saudi Arabia to fist bump Mohammed bin Salman and beg for oil only to reduce supply by two million barrels a day before the midterms, guaranteeing gas prices go up before the election. No one in the world respects um, what happened. Meanwhile, the president's actions will further deplete the SPR already at its lowest level since 1984 and serves only to threaten our national security preparedness. That is uh, what the oil is being preserved for. Well, the U.S. murder rate has risen to 4.3 percent in 2021. 
According to the FBI's recently released Crime in the Nation report, the murder rate across the nation rose by 4.3 percent last year, while overall violent crimes dipped slightly by just 1 percent. With this year's statistics, the FBI notes a substantial and glaring caveat. This report was based on less data than prior years. For years, the FBI explained the FBI's Uniform Criminal Reporting Program has provided annual snapshots of crime in the nation. But this year, users will notice a difference in the data because it was exclusively collected via the National Incidents-Based Reporting System in 2021. Local law enforcement participation in the FBI's crime tracking system significantly dropped last year as just 63 percent of local law enforcement agencies and only 52 percent of all agencies submitted data. That's the lowest participation rate since the late 70s. So the question is, just how bad are the real homicide and violent crime rates across the country? Why would you use less data when we're seeing a spike in crime all across the country with nearly 40 percent of the nation's law enforcement crime data unaccounted for? There are many questions to be answered. And the U.S. Army missed its recruitment goal by 25 percent. The U.S. Army has come up short on its recruitment goal by 15,000 soldiers, a quarter of its overall target. This represents the biggest shortfall in Army history. More on that later in the program. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, a conversation with Dennis Prager. His latest release, The Rational Bible, Deuteronomy. It's part of his series, and we'll talk about it in just a few moments. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Hey, the question is, is the Bible, the most influential book in world history, still relevant? And why do so many people dismiss it as being irrelevant, irrational, immoral, or all of the above? Well, the Rational Bible, Deuteronomy, by my next guest, Dennis Prager, national radio host and best-selling author of the Rational Bible series, explains the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, and demonstrates how it remains profoundly relevant, both to the great issues of our day and to each individual. If you doubt the existence of God because you think believing in God is irrational, this is a book you need to pick up. And read. Well, my guest is Dennis Prager. He is the founder of the online nonprofit Prager University and the author of nine best selling books on politics, religion, and happiness. Tens of millions of people watch his videos, and millions more listen daily to his nationally syndicated broadcast um, radio show. With his knowledge of biblical Hebrew, he has uh, taught the Bible to people of every background for 40 years, and now he continues doing just that with his latest. It's simply Deuteronomy. The Rational Bible. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Torah, the third installment in your um, your series on the Rational Bible. Explain what the Rational Bible is, that title, and why Deuteronomy? I have as my vehicle to the Bible and to God reason. Uh, This is almost uh, heretical to say, but I don't accept things that don't make sense. That's that's my nature. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just my nature. And over the course of a lifetime of teaching and studying the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, I came to realize that with enough research, everything makes sense. And I and I've tried to bring that to people because if you want the roots of the chaos that now reigns in America, 
and in many other places in the Western world, it is that there is no longer any transcendent source of wisdom or of morality for that matter. And it is it was the Bible. That's why we called it a Judeo-Christian civilization, because the Jewish Old Testament and the Christian New Testament. Of course, the Old Testament is also Christian, so both. So I, I have been able to make sense of this. Uh, obviously, uh, I have this gift from early uh, on of knowing biblical Hebrew very well. That was a big help, but it's not enough, obviously. And gradually, I came to realize this is there's a reason it's the most influential book in history. There's a reason that the civilization that is based on the Bible, Western civilization, had more human rights, had more had more affluence, had more science, had more of everything precious than any other civilization in the world. That has nothing to do with race. It's an absurdity to even think it has anything to do with race. It's simply a values issue. So I have taken it upon myself to write this up. It's the hardest endeavor of my life to make to make clear what every verse means. But that's what I've done. If people want to check out how people have reacted to Genesis and Exodus, there are 4,000 reviews of those two volumes on Amazon. And now Deuteronomy is coming out in a few days. It's the fifth, as you pointed out, of the five books. I'm working on Numbers, the fourth, and then finally I will do the third, Leviticus. Now, Deuteronomy is unique in that most of the law is found there. Describe that book, the challenge of providing commentary on that book, and why it's important for us to understand what have been some of the controversial questions about Deuteronomy. It will come as a surprise to you, I suspect. It came a big surprise to me, and I, I admit, sadly, I found out about this after I had already written Deuteronomy. But I found out maybe a month ago or two months ago, a a historian of America at the American University reported research done to find out what book or what books the founders of the United States cited most frequently. In second place was Montesquieu, the French Enlightenment thinker, and in first place was Deuteronomy, and I was blown away. Mm -hmm. I'm not shocked, but I didn't expect it. I thought if there would be a biblical book, it might have been Exodus, because the founders saw themselves as a second Israel leaving Europe like the Israelites left Egypt. But lo and behold, it turns out to have been Deuteronomy. The book has more laws than any other single book. The book is Moses' recapitulation of everything that preceded it. And uh, it is filled with laws about everything, every aspect of life. I think my favorite, because it it gives people an idea of how unique the, the Torah and the Bible are, is a law in Deuteronomy that if you are fighting in a war, you're a soldier in a war, and you see a woman that you want, who's part of the nation that you have just fought, you may not touch her. If you want, you can bring her to your home, 
You must not touch her for 30 days while she mourns her family. Those are the words. And then if you want to just so much as touch her, you have to marry her. Can you imagine if the armies of the world had followed this in the history of, of, of warfare, where rape was as common as shooting your, your enemy? So that, that was written 3,200 years ago. So people ask, is it still relevant? My God, it's more relevant than ever. You've written an essay in the book called Fear of God is Morally and Psychologically Necessary. Can you make that case for us? I mean, as a as a Christian, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, and the use of the word fear, you, you make a point that that word can be translated in a couple of ways. Talk a bit about the necessity and importance of the fear of God and what Deuteronomy tells us about that. Well, as it happens, uh, it is translated often as revere, but it's incorrect. It does mean fear. And as I have put it all of my life, if more Germans feared God God than Hitler, there wouldn't have been the Holocaust. If more Russians feared God than Stalin, there wouldn't have been Gulag. Fear of God is one of the most important moral ideas ever conceived that I feel I have to morally answer to God because there is divine punishment and reward. A professor at the University of Oregon did a peer-reviewed paper published in a scientific journal which showed they they analyzed thousands and thousands of people in, in like 80 countries where people believed in hell there was less violence. The notion that People will act beautifully without reward or punishment. It's as idiotic as people will drive carefully without the speed laws or punishments. That is that. So fear of God is is the, in some ways the basis of a moral society. Uh, I just would add something that I think people should note. And again, it's a classic example of biblical wisdom that runs completely counter to our thinking today. There are two beings that the Torah, the first five books, tell us to fear. God and our mother and father. That's it. You should fear no one else and nothing else. And of course, to the modern mind, which is usually a rather primitive mind, unsophisticated mind, they spend too much time in secular colleges. They uh, they think that it's terrible. A child should not fear a parent. So I did an experiment on my radio show. It's a blessing that I have a radio show because I can <laughs> bounce any idea I want off millions of people. And I said, call me up and tell me if you didn't take drugs in high school, why didn't you? And virtually every single caller said because I I was afraid my mother would kill me. <laughs> that is such a healthy answer. Mm-hmm. If you don't fear your mother and father, that's not good. It doesn't mean you're scared. It doesn't mean you you you, you quake in fear at their presence because you, that you that you you fear they'll beat you up or something horrific or molest you. God forbid. But yes, you should fear them and you should fear God. In fact, fear of parents is the conduit 
the fear of God. That's why honor your father and mother is the is the fifth commandment, the one following four commandments about God. The conduit to God is is the parent. This is all brilliant stuff that is completely alien to the modern secular mind. There are a lot of lovely secular people, but there isn't a single secular institution with wisdom. The, the proof of that is the universities are the, the places of the most idiocy, like men give birth and America systemically racist, and they are the most secular institutions. It is not, it, it, it is not a coincidence. So the, the, these are a tiny, tiny handful of the insights that I tried to provide in the Rational Bible series. We're talking with Dennis Prager. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. Again, the series, the Rational Bible series, the latest edition, Deuteronomy, God, Blessings, and Curses. We'll continue our conversation in a moment, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dennis Prager. He is the author of the Rational Bible series and the latest edition, Deuteronomy. It's going to be out and available on the 11th of this month. That's next week, so check that out. Let me ask you some questions on some of the more controversial um, statements in the in the book of Deuteronomy, at least controversial in the 21st century, uh, which may indicate that we don't have any understanding of what the scriptures are saying. What is the uh, the commandment that neither sex can wear the clothing of the other mean today? Now, this would be completely unacceptable uh, in the secular universities, for example. But what does the scripture actually mean with regard to how men and women dress? It means exactly what it says. The the. The Bible, certainly the again the first five books, are rooted in the concept of distinctions: good and evil, human and animal, man and God, pure and impure, holy and and uh, impure, or holy and unholy, life and death, uh, and uh, male and female. The the abolition of distinctions, which the radically radical secular world desires uh, is going to mean the end of the civilization as we know it. And it's already happening. Mm -hmm. People telling children that they're not boys or girls, they'll decide later. The American Medical Association announcing that the sex of a child at birth should not be listed on on the birth certificate. These things are truly sick not to mention completely non-rooted in science. Every animal is male and female except humans. Are I supposed to believe that? I guess I am supposed to believe that, but I don't. God created the human being, male and female, he created them. It's a major statement in the book of Genesis. And you preserve those distinctions by your behavior. So if a man publicly, what he does privately is his business. But what? Uh, but a man who publicly dresses as a woman uh, is is mixing up what should be separate. And the fear of the Bible, which we no longer take seriously, and that's why we now have this, where we have a you know, drag queen story hour for five-year-olds, which is men, not even transgender men, men, dressing up as women and, and dancing in front of the children, so as to thoroughly confuse them with regard to the binary nature of sexual identity. 
human is sexually binary. There is male and there is female, and that is it. If somebody who is male thinks he is a female, that's a separate issue. The issue for the, the Bible is if you're a man and you're identifiably male, don't wear women's clothing publicly. You're, you're mixing what should remain separate. Now, if you think that society is better now that more men will wear skirts, okay, you obviously have a non-biblical view of the world. We'll see if your world turns out to be a beautiful one. Hmm. Another issue that comes up quite frequently is whether or not God commanded the Israelites to commit genocide when they were commanded to annihilate the Canaanites that had lived in the land that God had promised to them. Yeah, well, that that's a biblical uh, problem. It's not a Deuteronomy problem specifically, but uh, and it, it really occurs in Joshua, which is post uh, the first five books, which is what I deal with, and which have their own uh, specific holiness. But I'll, I'll happily address it. First of all, the Bible itself recounts that they never killed everybody there. They show up uh, quite later in the Bible. In fact, the Israelites often would intermarry with them, which is how the, the subject arose. What we have here is much more of a um, of normal hyperbole. We use it in sports: kill them, destroy them. Uh, it, it uh, that's that's much more what is being talked about. But even if it were true, even if it's accurate, and we take it literally that God instructed, which he doesn't, it's Moses actually, but it doesn't matter. Let's say God instructed or Moses instructed the Israelites to kill all the Midianites or all the Canaanites. Let's say that is true. So therefore what? So therefore I reject love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore I I reject the Ten Commandments. Therefore I reject that law about not raping women in war and, and every other moral achievement of this book in making the best civilization that ever, ever occurred. See, if there were a law, whenever you go to war, wipe out every single man, woman, and child whom you fight, I I will admit uh, it would be an uh, an insurmountable obstacle to me morally with regard to the Bible. Because as I said originally, if it doesn't make sense to me, uh, I, I find it very hard to accept. But there is no such law. It's irrelevant to me today. If, if, if the creator of the universe thought that there was a reason to wipe out the people who engaged in child sacrifice, and it's constantly a refrain that these people were particularly evil and, and, and killed children in the, in the name of God, then, uh, you know, that's, that's what God would have wanted in one particular instance. You might as well say, I'm always amazed when people raise the issue of the Canaanites or the Midianites. Why don't they raise the whole issue of the world? The same Bible says God killed everybody on earth except for Noah and his family. Why don't people raise that one? That's more dramatic. <laughs> this is just a little, a little, uh, you know, nationality. That's the whole world. I, I, I never understood that. Why doesn't? Why don't you reject the Bible because of the flood? So uh, I, I don't know what to say. Did God command me to bring a flood? No. God brought a flood because he, he wants people to be good. If people screw it up, then he's going to start all over, and he did with Noah. Then we screwed it up again. Maybe maybe it'll happen, but, but he promised that he wouldn't at least bring another flood again. So we don't have to worry about that. There Not may that. be other reasons to worry. 
So, uh, it, 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 look, if people want, if people want to create their own Bible in their brain, I am answerable only to myself, which is what most people now today in the secular world think. I answer to my own conscience and my own heart. If you think that that is a better guide to a good world than the Bible, which guided the creation of the United States of America more than any other text, then, among other things, I think you're foolish and incredibly arrogant. So while I acknowledge a problem, the, the infinitely larger picture is of the most moral document ever to shape a civilization. Was there a favorite thing that you learned as you researched and wrote the Rational Bible, Deuteronomy? Were you surprised by something? Well, that rape law, I got to say, has always struck me as one of the greatest advertisements for the, the moral achievement of Deuteronomy in the Bible generally. It, it's, it's, it's quite remarkable. I mean, I could give you so many things. The fact that your animal has to rest on the Sabbath. I mean, what civilization in history ever said animals had to rest this was such a unique development in, in the history of mankind that animals have to be treated well. You, you can't, there's a law that you can't uh, plow with two animals of, of different size on the same plow because they'll pull at different rates. I, I, that you, you can't muzzle an ox when it, uh, when it works in the fields. The, the concern with animals is unique in human history, where animals were tortured for fun, uh, as like cockfights and, and, the, and the burning of cats in, 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 in a sporting event. So uh, it, it's filled with this stuff, and that, that's why I, 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 I ache for people to read it. If somebody reads any one of these three volumes that are out now, and and it can start with any any of the three. It doesn't matter which you start with, uh, and, and then say, "Yeah, well, it doesn't it doesn't persuade me that this is the, the most remarkable moral work ever written." Then, then you know, more power to you. Then I would simply ask, "What would you like to substitute for it?" The New York Times. Hmm. Is there hope for the Judeo Christian value system to prevail in American society again? Only if people who believe in it know how to make the case. And that's why I think this is so important for Christians and Jews to use, because it'll give them the intellectual, moral arguments that they need. Again, the title of the book, the series, The Rational Bible, the latest to be released on the 11th is Deuteronomy. Dennis Prager, thank you so much for talking with us, and I wish you the best of luck on this latest volume and can hardly wait for the next. That's great. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back after news and traffic here at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Glenn producing and Sam Moppin engineering. Well, continuing to look at some of the top stories of the day. If you missed, by the way, a conversation with Dennis Prager in the previous hour, um, you can find that on the podcast. I have to admit, I didn't get his book until today, which is very frustrating when you're about to conduct an interview. Um, but Dennis Prager, you just need to say, ah, and he'll he'll fill in the rest. Anyway, that can be heard on the podcast. Go to kpdq.com for more on that. He has a new book out, The Rational Bible, this time focusing on Deuteronomy. It is the third in the five-book uh, series on um, 
the Torah. While taking a look at the news, the U.S. Army missed its recruitment goal by 25%. The Army has come up short in its recruitment goal by 15,000 soldiers. That's a quarter of its overall target. This represents the biggest shortfall in American history, or at least Army history. Army Secretary Christine Warmoth uh, explained, in the Army's most challenging recruiting year since the start of the all-volunteer force, we will only achieve 75% of our fiscal year 22 recruiting goals. She added the Army will maintain its readiness and meet all our national security requirements. If recruiting challenges persist, we will draw on the Guard and Reserve to augment active duty forces and may need to trim our force structure, end quote. It was a tough year for recruitment across all U.S. military branches, but all others were able to meet their goals. Still, the future prospect for meeting recruitment targets is looking increasingly difficult across the board. Major General Edward Thomas, the Air Force's head of recruitment, Uh, Put it this way, using Air Force lexicon, I would say we're uh, doing a dead stick landing as we come into the end of fiscal 22. And we're going to need to turn around on the 1st of October and do an afterburner takeoff. We're going to be starting 2023 in a tougher position than we started in 2022. Close quote. Well, a combination of the president's vaccine mandate, his administration's pushing of a woke agenda onto the ranks and a growing percentage of young Americans who simply don't meet the military's physical fitness requirements have all contributed to these lower recruitment numbers. An appeals court rules against DACA, but the program continues for now. The president scolded MAGA Republicans after the Fifth Circuit Court struck down the uh, DACA. A migrant bus arriving outside Vice President Kamala Harris's D.C. home is uh, being talked about. And Representative AOC's district gives illegals the Martha Vineyard treatment. The Department of Justice charges 11 pro-life activists for blocking abortion clinics in what's now becoming something of a trend. Oklahoma's governor signed a bill stopping gender transition services at children's hospitals in Oklahoma. And Democrats uh, shelved... um, Uh, climate change talk on the campaign trail and hone in on abortion. The Secret Service claims no records exist of uh, President Biden's Delaware visitors and a black BLM rioter who murdered a black retired St. Louis police captain uh, has been sentenced to life in prison without parole. The Supreme Court vacated the controversial Massachusetts gun control law and a judge has blocked the Philadelphia mayor's gun ban. Well, on this day in history, 1536, English theologian and scholar William Tyndale, who was the first to translate the Bible into early modern English, is executed for heresy. 1927, the era of talking pictures arrives with the opening of The Jazz Singer, starring Al Jolson, a feature containing both silent and sound synchronized sequences. 1939, in a speech to the Reichstag, German Chancellor Adolf Hitler speaks of a plan to reorder the ethnic layout of Europe, a plan which would... Uh, entail settling the Jewish problem, as he put it. 1949, President Harry S. Truman signs the Mutual Defense Assistance Act, providing $1.3 billion in military aid to NATO countries. 1958, the nuclear submarine USS Seawolf surfaces after spending 60 days submerged. 1973, war erupts in the Middle East as Egypt and Syria launch a surprise attack on Israel during the Yom Kippur holiday. 1979, Pope John Paul II, on a week-long U.S. tour, becomes the first pontiff to visit the White House, where he is received by President Jimmy Carter. 1981, Egyptian President Anwar Sadat is shot to death by extremists while reviewing a military parade. 
2004, the top U.S. arms uh, inspector in Iraq, Charles Dufler, he reports no evidence Saddam Hussein's regime produced weapons of mass destruction after 1991. 2014, the Supreme Court unexpectedly clears the way for a dramatic expansion of same-sex marriage in the United States as it rejected appeals from five states seeking to preserve their bans, effectively making such marriage legal in 30 states. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, in the narrowest Senate confirmation of a Supreme Court justice in nearly a century and a half, Brett Kavanaugh is confirmed by a 50-48 vote. He is sworn in hours later. Well, federal investigators believe they've gathered enough evidence to charge President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, with tax crimes and a false statement related to a gun purchase, according to a bombshell new report from The Washington Post. Federal investigators associated with the FBI and the IRS determined months ago that they had sufficient evidence to indict the younger Biden. But it is now up to the U.S. attorney in Delaware, who was appointed by former President Trump to determine whether to charge uh, the younger Biden per the Post. Chris Clark, a lawyer for Hunter Biden, responded to an inquiry from the Post with a written statement accusing investigators of misconduct, saying it is, and I quote, a federal felony for a federal agent to leak information about a grand jury investigation such as this one. Clark noted any agent you cite as a source in your article apparently has committed such a felony. We expect the Department of Justice will diligently investigate and prosecute such bad actors, end quote. Both Hunter Biden and his father have been the subject of much criticism from the president's political rivals, especially former President Donald Trump, who have Trump rather, who have accused both Bidens of corruption and the younger one of being the beneficiary of politically motivated double standards. Well, in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election, the New York Post reported that a laptop containing incriminating evidence had been left at a repair shop in Delaware. The report was panned as Russian disinformation by much of the media, but was later authenticated. White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain spoke for the president in April, declaring that he is confident that his son didn't break the law, end quote. In December of 2020, when the federal investigation into the younger Biden first became public, the then president-elect reacted to the news by declaring, I'm proud of my son. Well, the potential gun charge can be traced back to 2018 when Biden was as he later admitted, using crack cocaine, but nonetheless claimed that he was not um, while well, filling out a, a federal form to purchase a handgun. Haley Biden, Hunter's uh, late older brother, Bo's widow, the latest Hunter girlfriend, hid the weapon from the president's son on October of 2018 because she was scared he would use it. Hunter reacted to the incident uh, with language that one could not repeat. Now, I can't imagine, no, I can't imagine how difficult this must be for the president. Being a politician, being the president of the United States, being a candidate, that's one thing. Being a father, that's quite another. But according to the Washington Post, investigators believe they have enough evidence to charge Hunter Biden. And an expectation is that that will be the case. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll continue to cover some of the top news stories. The president is pardoning all prior federal offenses of simple marijuana possession. We'll tell you more about that when we return and much more. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, President Biden will uh, pardon all prior federal offenses of simple marijuana possession, the White House announced today. The move applies to those convicted of simple possession of marijuana, including those in the District of Columbia, according to senior officials. 
As I've said before, no one should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana. The president tweeted on Thursday, sending people to jail for possessing marijuana has upended too many lives for conduct that is legal in many states. That's before you address the clear racial disparities among prosecutions and convictions. Today, we begin to right these wrongs, end quote. Well, in addition to the pardons, the president urged governors to follow suit regarding state marijuana offenses and instructed Secretary of Health and Human Services Xavier Becara and Attorney General Merrick Garland to begin reviewing how marijuana is classified under federal drug laws. The federal government currently classifies marijuana as a Schedule I substance, the same as heroin and LSD, and more serious than uh, fentanyl, Biden said. It makes no sense. It is, however, the law. Whether or not the president can extend these pardons and um, insist that the law be changed, we'll follow the story. A federal judge blocked the most controversial provision of a restrictive New York gun law. It asks applicants to meet a number of requirements in order to obtain a concealed carry permit. The decision was made on Thursday. It was issued by U.S. District Court Judge Glenn Sutterby. Uh, the ruling temporarily halts the enforcement of several provisions of the state's Concealed Carry Improvement Act. Parts of the law invalidated by a uh, uh, Sudabay include the disclosure of social media accounts as well as the identities of relatives, including spouses, by permit um, applicants. Applicants also no longer have to demonstrate their good moral character in interviews with local officials to qualify for a license. Notably, the law had required that gun owners be specifically authorized to carry firearms on private property, a stipulation the judge struck down in favor of allowing home and business owners to instead issue an explicit ban on their property if they so choose. The state of New York is now making a decision for private property owners that they are perfectly able to make for themselves, the judge wrote in his decision. He gave the uh, the state three days to file an appeal. The law, which went into effect on September 1st, was enacted as a response to the Supreme Court's declaration that a New York law requiring a license to carry concealed weapons in public was unconstitutional. A group of New York gun owners spearheaded the legal challenge to the Concealed Carry Improvement Act, with a primary plaintiff being Ivan Antoniuk, a resident who argued that the law's prohibition on carrying guns on private property without explicit permission violated rights granted to him by the Second Amendment. He sued over the law's uh, the law once before, but uh, he uh, it was ruled that his petition was irrelevant because the measure had not yet gone into effect. Well, the judge's order now allows gun carriers to, in recreational settings, uh, areas where alcoholic beverages are consumed and other venues. The state also can't enforce the part of the law that designates busy Manhattan tourist hub Times Square as a gun-free zone, the judge said. However, Sotheby uh, maintained that guns on um, carrying firearms in public, gun owners uh, carrying in public, or private educational facilities, polling places, government administrative buildings, permitted special events, and public meeting places. In response to the ruling, Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanek, she wrote in a statement, we are one step closer to ending corrupt Kathy Hochul's assault on our fundamental Second Amendment rights and restoring the rights of New Yorkers, end quote. Since the beginning, I have stood up against Hochul's shameful attempt to shred our Constitution when she uh, doubled down on her unconstitutional gun ban, even after the U.S. Supreme Court struck it down, Stefanek went on to say. Well, in other news, the Washington, D.C. City Council voted 12 to 1 to advance a bill that's passed and signed into law would allow non-citizens to vote in local elections. 
The bill introduced by Councilmember Charles Allen says that if a non-citizen is otherwise qualified to vote, they can do so in local elections so long as they have uh, resided in Washington, D.C. for at least 30 days. Well, the bill is in line with uh, our D.C. values, he went on to say, and this council's history of expanding the right to vote and welcoming new voices into our political process and government. He was speaking before the vote on Tuesday's legislative session. Our immigrant neighbors of all statuses participate, contribute and care about our community in our city. They, like all D.C. residents, deserve a right to have a say in their government. They raise families here, contribute to their community. They run businesses that people depend on. They pay taxes that we decide how to spend. Yet they have no ability to elect the local leaders who make decisions about their bodies, their businesses and their tax dollars, end quote. Well, Allen went on to say that D.C. already allows those who do not pay taxes to vote, those without a fixed residence, those who are incarcerated college students who hail from faraway states. Of course, they would be citizens and those who cannot read to vote. Why? Because we believe that all those voices deserve to have a vote. Well, the only vote against the bill was from Council Member Mary Chech, who said her only problem with the bill is that the time period is too short for her liking, given that migrants have been arriving via bus from places like Texas, dropped off in locations in D.C., like near Vice President Harris's home. The bill is eminently supportable except for one aspect about it. And I asked this question of the committee as a whole. Could someone who took the bus from Texas or was put on the bus from Texas or wherever and dropped off at the vice president's property and then remained a resident in the district for 30 days and was 18 years old? Could that person then vote in our local elections? And the answer was yes. Well, she said her concern was not about immigration status, but whether somebody who is a complete stranger to our community, to our nation, and who happened to be sent here on a bus from Texas and managed to remain resident here could actually vote in our elections. She said that there should be something more than 30 days, noting that the bill originally called for permanent residency. She said she would agree to even 60 days, arguing that the current 30-day period is too flimsy. The bottom line, however... Non-citizens allowed to vote in the District of Columbia on local issues. Well, the West is experiencing its third energy crisis. The first was, what, in 1973. That was caused by the near quintupling of the price of crude oil by Gulf oil producers in response to America's support for Israel in the Yom Kippur War. Well, their action brought an end to what the French call the well, I won't even attempt to say it, but the unprecedented post-World War II economic expansion. Well, the second occurred at the end of the 1970s when Iran's Islamic Revolution led to a more than doubling of oil prices. This again inflicted great economic hardship, but the policy response was far better. Inflation was purged at the cost of deep recession. Energy markets were permitted to function. High oil prices induced substitution effects, particularly in the power sector and Uh, stimulated increased supply. Well, in the space of nine months, the oil price cratered from $30 a barrel in November of 85 to $10 a barrel in July of 86. It's no wonder that the economic expansion that started under Ronald Reagan had such long legs. Well, this time it's different. It will be different. The third energy crisis wasn't sparked by Saudi Arabia and its Gulf allies or by Iranian ayatollahs. It was self-inflicted, a foreseeable outcome of policy choices made by the West. Germany's disastrous energy wind that empowered Vladimir Putin to launch an energy war against Europe. 
Britain's self-regarding and self-destructive policy of powering past coal and its decision rather to ban fracking. And as uh, Joseph Toomey uh, shows um, in uh, an essay he wrote, President Joe Biden's war on the American oil and gas industry. Well, hostilities were declared during the campaign for the Democratic presidential nomination. I guarantee you we're going to end fossil fuel. Can the then candidate Biden told a climate activist in September of 2019 words that the White House surely hopes get lost down a memory hole. Uh, Toomey's paper has all the receipts, so there's no danger of that. Well, as he observes, the president's position in 2022 resembles Barack Obama's in 2012 and rising gas prices threatened to sink his reelection. The then President Obama responded with a ruthlessness that his uh, erstwhile running mate lacks. He simply stopped talking about climate and switched to an all of the above energy policy, shamelessly claiming credit for the fracking revolution that his uh, own Environmental Protection Agency tried to strangle to death. But that's not the case this time around. Passage of the uh, mistitled Inflation Reduction Act places this option beyond Biden's reach. Even if he were to uh, to be so inclined, Democrats are hardly going to take a vow of climate um, well, lack of memory for a period of time when they've achieved a political triumph of pushing through Congress what they regard as the most significant climate legislation to date. Now, we'll continue to look at um, what is happening in this third uh, this third energy crisis that we find ourselves currently in. But I do need to take a break. Be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking about the third climate crisis. Joseph Toomey, in a pretty powerful essay, recalls the history of how we got to where we are and the president's war on the American oil and gas industry. He recalls in September of 2019, the then-candidate Biden saying, I guarantee you we're going to end fossil fuel. Um, words that, well, might not be so popular today, now that we're living in an environment where it's um, being discouraged. Well, as he observed, uh, Biden's position in 2020 resembles that of the former president, Barack Obama. Well, passage of the uh, um, Inflation Reduction Act places this option out of the president's hands, out of his reach, even if he were so inclined. Um, And although the price of oil has slipped back from recent highs, the factors behind high gasoline prices are pretty much the same. Foremost among these is the steep decline in U.S. oil refinery capacity triggered when COVID-19 lockdowns crushed demand, but continued after the economy reopened. Toomey identifies five factors that drive this decline in refinery capacity. EPA biofuel blending mandates impose crippling costs on smaller refineries when conventional refineries are converted to processing biofuels. Up to 90 percent of their capacity is lost. Biofuel mandates cost consumers far more than federal excise taxes. And he demonstrates that the administration's claim that biofuel mandates protect consumers from oil price volatility is, well, false. Biofuel prices, he writes, are essentially indexed to the price of crude oil. The president could uh, order the reversal of the EPA's retroactive biofuel threshold rule that he hasn't done so demonstrates that the administration isn't serious about making energy affordable again. High prices for fossil fuel energy are an intended part of the plan. Well, corporate and Wall Street environmental, social, and governance policies are another factor driving refinery closures, especially facilities owned by European companies to meet punishing decarbonization targets that will effectively end up sunsetting them as oil companies. 
To these should be added aggressive federal policies that are aimed at phasing out gasoline-powered vehicles in favor of electric vehicles. Now, one day that may, in fact, be the way to go, but we are so far from that today, it's uh, creating more pain than is tolerable. An administration staffed from top to bottom with uh, those who believe that climate is the only thing that matters in politics and an increasingly hostile political climate. Uh, You know the deal, the president is uh, quoted as having said, of uh, oil executives when campaigning for the presidency, when they don't deliver, put them in jail, end quote. Well, these policies argues to me, again in the uh, article, that uh, we'll see uh, China become the world's leading oil refiner for the years to come. Uh, will the president find himself asking China for supplies of refined gasoline? We're already bowing and bending to Venezuela. He might well find himself being saved from um, an unfortunate position, made more so by Speaker Pelosi's recent trip to Taiwan, but help from the other side of the southern border. Mexico is constructing a $12 billion refinery due to start producing gasoline next year. Perhaps the president's next foreign trip should be to Mexico City. But we certainly are in the third climate, or I should say oil crisis, uh, certainly in my lifetime. Well, in other news, a Cornell University professor is uh, being targeted for criticizing the culture on campus. He says, uh, warns rather, that universities are eliminating meaning of the of objective truth from classrooms with CRT. Well, Professor William Jacobson was caught at Cornell Law School for over a dozen years. That's where he's taught. But that hasn't inoculated him from the cancel culture. An Ivy League biology professor is sounding the alarm on how critical race theory curricula is erasing the meaning and even existence of objective truth from classrooms and teaching a generation of students to treat the truth fast and loose, end quote. He went on to say, we're supposed to be training people like biologists that will become doctors to make us healthier, mechanical engineers that will build bridges or skyscrapers. Associate professor at Cornell University's School of Integrative Plant Science, Randy Wayne, says in a phone interview this month, and if they're uh, trained on a foundation that there is no truth, nobody wants to be operated on by such a surgeon or drive over a bridge made by such an engineer. And I'm afraid that's just where the universities are going, training people to treat the truth fast and loose in order to obtain just what you want. And in the case of the universities, what they want is um, they want uh, what they call social justice, and they're willing to pay, um, well, as he puts it, fast and loose with the truth to get it. Well, Wayne is a self-described squeaky wheel at the Ivy League institution, has been battling critical race theory and diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives at the school for the last year and a half. Since he first noticed the faculty um, Senate was discussing mandatory critical race theory training for faculty. Well, as a scientist and teacher, Wayne said his purpose is to search for truth and teach his students how to search for truth. Critical race theory, which is based on the postmodernist assumption that there is no truth, there's no objective truth, it's just no uh, no starter for me, he said. You could create uh, any fantasy land you want. It's It has nothing to do with what's actually real. And frankly, the way it's used, it causes fear and terror in all the people that are afraid to answer the mantra the way they believe it should be answered or the preferred answer, which isn't fixed because there isn't any 
fixed truth. Well, Wayne is motivated to speak out after reading an essay published by Paul Rossi, a former teacher at the prestigious Grace Church School in New York City. Rossi was among a wave of teachers and parents across the country in 21 who spoke out against critical race theory in schools, describing it as harmful curriculum that strips students of their individuality and puts focus on their race instead. After the George Floyd killing in 2020, the university decided that they had to do something, and there's nothing wrong with that. They didn't decide how best to handle this, however. They decided we're going to just mandate CRT founded on the idea that there's no objective truth, Wayne argued. Well, among the initiatives discussed and rolled out by the school in 2020 were creating a mandatory class for students on racism, bias and equity, training police in anti-racist policing, launching an anti-racism center and requiring equity and cultural competency training for employees, according to an opinion essay Wayne wrote for the College Fix this month. Wayne emailed Cornell's president and other university leaders in 21, arguing against CRT initiatives and detailing how critical race theorists' arguments can neither stand up to rational academic rigor nor change the hearts of people, end quote. Well, the email went unanswered, so he emailed again and again over the past year and a half, but has not heard anything but crickets. I gave them an opportunity over a year to discuss this issue and nobody took me up on it. I believe they didn't take me up on it because they have an inability to make a reasoned argument, he went on to say. Wayne has been deeply inspired by people throughout history who have taken racism head on by having face-to-face conversations to change hearts. He argued that having human interactions that are motivated by understanding and the power of love is the approach that he's taken as he tries to end the school's continued embrace of CRT. Within his emails, as well as during his interview, he cited a black man named Daryl Davis, a pianist who faced racism at the age 10 in Massachusetts when a crowd lobbed bottles and rocks uh, at him while he was marching in the parade with his Cub Scout uh, pack. He asked, how can people hate me that don't even know me? Wayne recounted if Davis' story, and that became a core question in his soul. Well, Davis grew up and ultimately took racism head on, meeting with KKK members, changing their minds on holding hate for people based on skin color. He made appointments to meet with members of the Klan, and he sat down one-on-one to talk openly with them. He got, at that time, over 200 Klansmen to turn in their KKK suits, their robes, and quit the Klan because they got to know a black man in a normal human encounter, face-to-face, heart-to-heart, allowing mistakes and not crucifying anybody for using the wrong word or phrase. Well, the mandatory CRT training for faculty ultimately did not come to fruition at Cornell, but other initiatives have continued. And he continues to argue in favor of what he believes would be a more constructive way of addressing real issues of racism on and off campus. Meanwhile, UC Berkeley is censoring the Jews. We'll tell you more about that. It was once heralded as the birthplace of free speech, the movement. Well, now it appears the famously leftist school may also be free speech's cemetery. We'll talk about it when we return from the break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the University of California, Berkeley, was once heralded as the birthplace of free speech, but not anymore. At the beginning of this academic year, nine student groups at Berkeley School of Law amended their bylaws to, and we kid you not, enforce a total ban on inviting any speakers on campus who support Israel. 
The organizations, the bylaw states, will not invite speakers that have expressed interest and continue to hold views, host, sponsor, or promote events in support of Zionism, the apartheid state of Israel, and the occupation of Palestine, end quote. Well, this uh, statute, which is reminiscent of 1930s Nazi Germany, was written by the Berkeley Law Students for Justice in Palestine. It was adopted by other anti-Semitic student groups, including Women of Berkeley Law, Asian Pacific American Law Students Association, Middle Eastern and North African Law Students Association, Law Students of African Descent and the Queer Caucus. Well, the bylaw also states that banning pro-Israel speakers is protecting the safety and welfare of the Palestinian students. Well, uh, are there a lot of incidents of Zionists beating up Palestinians at Berkeley is the question. In fact, not even one. This is not about protecting anyone's physical safety. It's not even about protecting their delicate sensibilities from the uncomfortable truths that spoil their uh, narrative, which is the basis of the woke movement. What it is about is shutting down free speech and banning Jews from campus, plain and simple. And apparently it's acceptable. Certain groups you can ban. In the midst of our talk of being diverse and open and tolerant, well, the true motives of the left couldn't be any clearer. Progressives don't support free speech. They've systematically shut down avenues of alternative thought at college and universities across the country. They're now so confident in their success at stifling speech that they openly engage in anti-Semitism as one of America's most well-known universities. Well, Kenneth Marcus, founder and chairman of the Louis B. Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law, wrote a blistering op-ed in response calling attention to the establishment of these Jewish free zones at Berkeley and other colleges around the country, including the State University of New York at uh, New Paltz and elsewhere. He wrote, if I wasn't so if it wasn't so frightening, writes Marcus, one might be able to recognize the irony in the sight of campus progressives trying so hard to signal progressive virtue that they fail uh, that they fall victim rather to a deeper moral shame. Since the UC system in California and the uh, system in New York are among the largest state funded public college networks in the country, their respective uh, state governments are complicit in these anti-Semitic actions. So far, no one in either the Golden State or the Empire State governments have expressed any concern about this naked expression of Jew hatred. Even the dean of Berkeley's law school, Erwin Cherminsky, uh, won't fully stand up against this obvious attack on freedom. And he's Jewish. Here's what Berkeley's law fearless leader had to say. Indeed, taken literally, this would mean that I could not be invited to speak because I support the existence of Israel, though I condemn many of its policies, end quote. Well, Treminsky probably uh, had to get that qualifier in there about Israel's policies to keep his office from being firebombed. In a response to Marcus, Cherminsky uh, points out that only a handful of student groups out of the 100 in Berkeley adopted the ban. And here's the clincher. It's important to recognize that law student groups have free speech rights, including to express messages that I and others might find offensive. Cherminsky is completely wrong. Rights for one group are not established by taking rights away from other groups. These organizations don't have the right to deny other groups based on their ethnic or ancestral identity. Such a system of is anti-American, anti-civil rights and anti-free speech. But of course, that's acceptable if you have the right views. Well, it doesn't matter that these uh, groups represent a small minority. History tells us where this leads. Today, it's college campuses. What about next week? What about next year? 
Well, amid the fentanyl crisis, parents are urged to warn their kids about Halloween treats in disguise. They'll think it's candy. Well, the Drug Enforcement Administration says that cartels are targeting children and young people with rainbow fentanyl. Well, as Halloween is just under four weeks away, kids across the country will soon be stuffing bags with candy as they trick or treat through their neighborhoods. Now, you may not do it, but your neighbor kids might. Well, at the same time, over 250,000 rainbow fentanyl pills have been seized at the ports of Nogales in Arizona alone in since July. Well, the rainbow fentanyl pills are bright colored and the Drug Enforcement Administration believes that drug cartels are targeting children and young people by making the fentanyl look like candy. Well, that is in addition to the millions of other fentanyl pills that have been seized from the port of Nogales during the same time period. And cartels are attempting to traffic even more of the illicit drug into other parts of the country according to the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration. While they say that two milligrams of fentanyl is considered lethal, which is the same amount of 10, 15 grains of table salt, grains, 10 to 15 grains of table salt. The agency says that fentanyl is the deadliest drug threat facing the country. In Connecticut, two men were charged after allegedly trafficking thousands of fentanyl pills into the state. And federal authorities allege that the men used Skittles candy bags and Nerds candy bags, or boxes rather, to store the pills. Should parents be worried that rainbow fentanyl pills will be will wind up in their trick-or-treat bags? Well, a, mum, a member of the Mothers Against Drug Addiction and Deaths says that while parents should keep an eye on what goes in their kids' trick-or-treat bag... Uh, they need to educate their kids on drugs such as fentanyl if they encounter them at parties. So let's take, for example, teenagers. They go to parties. We all know that some do some drugs. They may think it's one thing when it's, in fact, another. And they bring these drugs to parties. So if you um, got these these pills floating around parties to look like candy, then people are going to uh, to take them, assuming that they're a lot less than what they actually are. And they may not even know that they're taking a deadly substance because that's what they are. They're a deadly substance. Well, she also says that parents should keep a close eye on what their teenagers bring home. Let's say you have a teenager and let's say that they're buying drugs and they're buying fentanyl pills. They look like candy. They bring it home. They have a younger brother or sister. Parents have no idea about what's going on. So uh, you've got these little pills that, well, they look like Hello Kitties. And the uh, little kids see them and the, the teenagers leave. The pills are out and maybe forget to put them away. And the little brothers or sisters take them. They think it's candy. They take it, overdose and die. I think that's pretty serious. So during this season when candy is a big deal and for those who go door to door to get it, they're suggesting that uh, during this fentanyl crisis, parents Uh, should warn their kids and be very careful to follow and see what's in their particular baskets. So there you have it. Well, Victor Davis Hansen points out that civilization is fragile. It hinges on ensuring the stuff of life to be able to eat, to move about, to have shelter, to be free from state or tribal coercion, to be secure abroad, safe at home. Only that allows cultures to be freed from the daily drudgery of mere survival. Civilization alone permits humans to pursue sophisticated scientific research, the arts and the finer aspects of culture. So the great achievement of Western civilization, consensual government, individual freedom, rationalism and participation with religion, uh, partnership rather with religious belief, free market economics, constant self-critique and audit was to liberate people from daily worry over state violence, random crime, famine and an often unforgiving nature. 
But so often the resulting leisure and affluence instead deluded arrogant Western societies into thinking that modern man no longer needed to worry about the fruits of civilization he took to be his elemental birthright. As a result, the once prosperous Greek city-state, Roman Empire, Renaissance republics, and European democracies of the 1930s imploded, and civilization went headlong in reverse. We in the modern Western world are now facing such a crisis— We talk grandly about the globalized Great Reset. We blindly accept the faddish New Green, uh, I should say, New Green Deal. We virtue signal about defunding the police. We merely shrug at open borders. And we brag about banning fertilizers and pesticides, outlawing rather the internal combustion engine, and discounting Armageddon in the nuclear age, as if on autopilot we have already reached utopia. But meanwhile, Westerners are systematically destroying the very elements of our civilization that permitted such fantasies in the first place. Take fuel. European arrogantly lectured the world that they no longer needed traditional fuels, so they shut down their nuclear power plants. They stopped drilling for oil and gas, and they banned coal. We follow uh, what followed was a dystopian nightmare. Europeans will burn dirty wood this winter as their civilization reverts from postmodern abundance to postmodern survival. Our administration ossified oil fields. It canceled new federal oil and gas leases. It stopped pipelines construction and hectored investors to shun fossil fuels. When scarcity naturally followed, fuel prices soared. And, of course, the rest of the story. America is racing backward into the 19th century wild, wild west. Predators maim, kill, and rob with impunity. Felons correctly conclude that bankrupt postmodern critical legal theory will ensure them exemption from punishment. Few Americans know anything about agriculture except to expect limitless supplies of inexpensive, safe, and nutritious food at their beck and call. As we suffer self-inflicted mass looting, random street violence, hyperinflation, a non-existent border, unaffordable fuel, and collapsing military, Americans will come to appreciate just how thin this veneer of civilization is. When stripped away, we are relearning that what lies just beneath is utterly terrifying. Victor Davis Hansen. We're out of time. want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Maupin for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.